Like we always do? Yes. Everything from rolling dice to moving mice. Yep. And tonight, we're going to focus a little bit on resources and card games. Heck yeah. Because I've gotten the chance to play a little bit. Not a ton lately, um, but I did just kickstart one, and hopefully we'll get a chance to play it together. You said but, and then you said kickstart. Yes. But please continue. (laughs) Thank you. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, it's called Mage Noir. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm hoping that we can stream it. Um, but as we talk about this, um, it's important to reflect on some of the games we have played or are playing. So Chris, what are you playing right wow, now? Wow. What a segue. Mm. Incredible. It's like you planned it. Put two wheels on it and tip me over. Yep. Put two wheels on it and, and lead it around a city and get in the way of traffic. Yes, yeah. indeed. Yeah. So is that what you're playing? You're playing Segway Tours? No, no, I'm not. <laughs> I wonder if there's a Segway simulator, though. Ooh. I mean, there's a PC builder simulator. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if there's a Segway <laughs> seems simulator. like such a dumb thing to make a game about. I think there's like a, there's a, 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 like the getting over it genre where it's like, like incredibly frustrating games to play. I think there is a version... For with the Segway, it might be like an optional vehicle in one of those games or something. Uh-huh. But it's like, uh, like the, there's one where the dad's riding a bike or something. Oh I yeah, think one yeah. of the vehicles in that might be a Segway. Oh, man, what's the name of that game? Um, Downhill Dad or something. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Anyways, um, now that we've wasted the requisite amount of time talking about nothing. <laughs> What am I playing? It's like we're writing an essay and putting in filler statements to get to the page limit. I'm doing that for my master's right now. Nice. Congratulations. Thanks. Yeah. Uh, anyways, though. For real, I've been playing some Chivalry 2. Um, it's oh. a um, multiplayer. Like It can be first person or third person. That was not what I was expecting at all. Yeah. Yeah, It's uh, it was on Game Pass, so my roommate and I started playing it. It's a ton of fun. There's... um. It has a pretty robust melee combat system, and then you can also play a bow and, like, throw weapons, Mm. and it's got team deathmatch, but the more fun mode for me, I think, is objective-based maps, and then you can have lobbies with, like, 20-on-20 or 30-on-30, so they're pretty big games. It's a ton of fun. It, like, delivers the chaotic element of Mm -hmm. what I imagine being in a medieval melee would be like. Mm-hmm. Especially, <laughs> sometimes people get on horses and just charge through. So that's cool. Um, been playing some Halo Infinite as well with my roommate because I just got a co-op mode. So we're doing that a little bit. And uh, I it's just... cr- it's crazy to me that Halo Infinite took this long to add a co-op mode, considering like co-op campaign was like a staple of the game. Yeah, yeah. I'm surprised they didn't release with it. I was about to say that's neither here nor there, but we are a podcast about game design, so. It could be, mm. it could be there at least, if not here. It's yeah, it's a little bit of both. Yeah. Um, yeah. So those two, I restarted my D. Well, not restarted. I started another D and D campaign with the same players, so that's been fun. It's more nautical and ocean themed. Chris, what have we talked to you about on this podcast about using different rule systems? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'll never do it. No. So. Um, it's ocean themed. Like, what are you, what mechanics are you adding to make it more ocean themed? Are you just like, hey, you're on a boat? Yeah. So i I grabbed some shit ship, some boat stat blocks. I'll just say from Ghosts of Saltmarsh, and then I Ghosts of Saltmarsh is a D and D five supplement. Sorry. And oh, okay. It, at the it combines a bunch of um, uh, like. Is that official or is it a... It's official, yeah. Okay. Yeah, it combines a bunch of... It's kind of like Tales from the Awning Portal. It it puts a bunch of adventures together um, okay. into a book. And then at the end, it has a bunch of useful resources. Um, so I'm okay. using the random encounter table from that, the hazard table from that, the ship stat blocks, um, but I modified them a bit to make more sense. Um, 
So yeah, I, I flushed those out a bit more. I have a weather table that players roll on every day, but I also have them roll for wind direction now, um, mm. which comes into play when they're traveling at sea. So yeah, it's it's that. It has, um, ha- has islands everywhere. The players are getting close to getting to the main city, so... Oh, it's not just a giant body of water with nothing? Oh, no. <laughs> It's got islands. Okay, good to know. I was really worried that it was just going to be ships. You know, it's, how it's do a, they build ships with no trees? It's a little water world kind of thing. Ships oh, just oh, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, so it's uh, yeah, it's interesting. We'll have to see how it goes. I have a lot of prep for the next session because I have to create. I have like a rough map of the city, and then I had a more detailed map of the city. But then I want to make a map of the city to give to the players. So it's funny because I've uh, and I, I think I'm gonna maybe dissect it a little bit more either on a podcast or I'm gonna maybe stream kind of some foundational stuff. But I've been playing with a D and D setting um, uh, that is uh, a nautical themed one myself. Mm-hmm. That is One Piece inspired. But I'm hoping that, well, in the future we can dissect that. Yeah, totally. Playing Pretty anything fun. else, or what else am I playing? Um, I've started doing Skyrim runs on legendary mode with the survival mod added, so you have to like eat, sleep, and um, stay warm, and on permadeath. So anytime I die, I restart the character, and that's been a lot of fun. Because <laughs> like I've played that game so much that it doesn't feel too punishing to like instantly die. Cause I've already experienced so much of what the game has to offer. Mm. Um, but the permadeath really makes it like a lot more engaging. And then the survival mode makes it feel a lot more realistic where your character's not just like fast traveling and doing dungeons for three days straight. So mm-hmm. yeah, I think that's about it for me as far as games I'm playing. What are you playing? Well, um, if you're part of our discord, um, which is through our patron. Which court? Discord. Discord. Okay. Yes. Which Chris is on. Yeah. Um, uh, we've been playing, the the community has been playing a lot of Marvel Snap, mm-hmm. um, which is a card game. So we'll get more into that probably later in the episode. Um, we got to play Eldritch Horror in nice. the break between seasons. Welcome yep. to season four, by the way. Yeah. Um, crazy. Season four, episode 40. Yeah total in the series you're not on episode 40 of season four that'd be pretty crazy too yeah um uh, you know i think since we last recorded i've gotten a chance to play star wars rpg with some some friends we had a we had fall break so i was able to squeeze that in um did you play a character or run the game i ran the game nice it's i i find that way more um Engaging for me as as a game runner. I, I get burnt out a lot if I DM D&D mm-hmm. because of the bookkeeping and the extra stuff. And the I feel like I always... It's like, how do I make something compelling and then all of a sudden they have to fight this next enemy? And I'm just like, Ugh. Whereas, like, I love that system in that I just sit back and I let the players find their own obstacles. Because players are really good at doing that. Mm-hmm. Um and then um, we did Eldritch Horror on stream, right? That yep. was fun. Yep, it was. Uh, we we won. won. Yeah. That doesn't happen very often. Uh, yeah, so that was good. Um, did we play on normal or easy? We played on... I I didn't... We didn't play on all easy. We I mixed in the normal and the easy cards. Okay. Um, I've done all normal cards, which is pretty hard. I, I do not mix in the hard cards. <laughs> yeah. Some of them are just, like, absolutely brutal for no reason. And you can only do so much at it per turn. Um, I mean, if you mix in the hard cards um, with everything else, it'd probably be okay. But um, I like the normal and easy. Sometimes sometimes it's like, okay, if the bad stuff isn't too bad. I mean, in Eldritch Horror, no matter what bad stuff card you're flipping over, you're flipping over more problems and more things that are going to cause issues for you. And and like you're it's already like okay, I'm going to get punched in the face, but I'm going to get punched in the stomach as well, right? Like that's what a bad card being flipped over. Cuz by the time we finish resolving like 
triggers or spawning and stuff, and all of a sudden you're like, okay, the board looks really bad. Oh, and I need to read the card still. Yeah. <laughs> and then it's like, oh, everyone loses two health, or this happens, and you're like, okay, yeah. this sucks. The game is good at delivering the, and then it got worse sort of vibe. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, how could this get any worse? And then it did. Yeah. Um. So Marvel Snap, I just started playing through a little bit of The Wandering Village. Mm-hmm. So another Kickstarter game. What is that about? Um. So you, it is a um. A. City builder game. Um, uh huh. Uh. So it's it's not like an RTS where you control your units individually. It's where you build buildings and assign workers to it. Uh huh. Um. If you've played a city builder, sort of and you like kind North of have Garden, to balance stuff. Yeah, kind of. Um, the whole game takes place on um, the back of like this giant creature called an Anbu. Mm-hmm. And uh, he is kind of walking through the wilderness. And because it's difficult for humans to move, but like Anbus carry a lot of resources and do lots of stuff and have resources, like your civilization starts there. So... Um, I was thinking about maybe playing it on stream too. I'm doing like an initial playthrough on like tutorial mode so I can learn mm-hmm. the game. But it's like, oh, you have to balance how much food you have and like the weather changes and the world is being poisoned. So you have to avoid the poisonous fog and stuff. Um, and you have to manage your big friendly dinosaur and make sure he's not getting sick or too hungry Aww, or anything. That sounds fun. Um, if he gets too hungry, he starts to shake and he destroys all your buildings and stuff. And um, and then like your villagers want a better life, so you have to you have to build that up. So mm-hmm. been playing that. Um, still playing Valorant with the gang. Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah, that's good. We finished up some Escape Simulator as well. Uh, fun game. Which is just like an escape room. An escape room in a video game, um, which you can play single player, but we played with a squad of four, mm-hmm. which is is fun and interesting because sometimes people have different ideas and sometimes people pick up clues and look at them and be like, oh yeah, okay, this is what I'm looking for. And then someone else is looking for that clue and no one realizes it's <laughs> And no one inventory. says it out loud. Um, yeah, so... Um, think that's pretty much everything that i've been playing which is a good amount i've gotten a surprisingly healthy batch in um there's yeah, things i want to play you're on oh, excuse me you're on break from school right now right just a little bit yeah i mean most of this wasn't over break i finished up my master's in a week and a half so like done 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 and That's we also exciting. we have a wedding we're going to yep so uh the first tabletop to cpu sponsored wedding yep um and uh and then christmas time mm-hmm. uh and so i'm hoping that in the new year and uh over christmas time uh things will be a little bit slower for me because i won't have a master's degree to work on yeah and we can hopefully pick it up. I am also taking my esports team to the top eight tournament for Rocket League That's this exciting. Friday. So, um, wish us luck uh, as luck. I hope to coach them uh, well. And I hope that they they have the ability to win it all. Uh-huh. But, uh, you know, I they get a little tilted and stuff. So, it's difficult. The tilt so. is real. Mm-hmm. But good kids, uh, they're a junior and two sophomores, so we've got at least one more year with the same kind of team and everything. And Oh, nice. So, um, Well, just remember, if they win, it's because of your coaching, and if they lose, it's because of their incompetence. Yes, as always. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think that's, that's pretty much everything I'm playing through. Nice. So... Uh, our topic for tonight. Well, uh, I'm obviously, Marvel Snap was the one that we delayed. So our topic tonight is resources in games, mm-hmm. in card games specifically. You said that we delayed tonight. I delayed talking about Marvel Snap. Oh, gotcha. Right. Yeah. Because we yes. want to talk about it for the main. Although we were supposed to record last two Fridays ago, Sundays ago. Oh, we were going to play something. I don't know. Anyways, so. Resources in card games. Look over there. Is it? It looks vaguely like a teapot. Oh my goodness. 
Thanks, Chris. Yeah. That is my gauge that tells me how much water I've used. Uh Uh-huh. His water gauge looks like a teapot. There you go. Teapots do have water in them, usually. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. So, resources and card games. Yes. So, in general, we can look at a variety of different card games. Um, from something as simple as, like, um, Sabacc, which is the, uh, Star Wars-inspired card game. You can get the actual cards for it. You can play it. Mm -hmm. It plays kind of like... 21. Kind of like 21, but you're trying to hit zero. So you can get positive and negative cards. And you have a little bit... You can do a blind draw, you can grab a face-up card, or you can discard. Mm -hmm. Uh, but all the way up to, like, complexity of magic and, and... Um, like L5R and stuff. Yeah. So, I guess before we start just diving into whatever it is you wanted to explore, what about, because I'm assuming Marvel Snap kind of inspired this. Yeah, it's a little bit of that, and also the the new Kickstarter Mage Noir, so. Yeah, so what about those, or what elements from those two games made you Mm -hmm. kind of take a deeper look at uh, resources and card games? Yeah, so... Uh, well, first, let's talk a little bit about Marvel Snap, because it's interesting. Um, the lead designer for, for Marvel Snap is mm-hmm. the former lead designer for Hearthstone. Uh, Hearthstone yeah. Right? And so he comes with a little bit of history. They're coming in. They're saying, how do we want to make superheroes look cool? Yeah. Um, how are we going to make a phone game that can run that's not super complicated? Because if you ever tried to play Hearthstone on the phone, it's really really not an enjoyable experience. Yeah. And um, I think Magic the the Gathering Arena is on the phone, but I've played that game sometimes where your board's so full it's, like, difficult to click on yeah. on my 4K monitor. Yeah. Like, I don't know how on earth I'd play that on my phone. Yeah. Um. Well, and those games have the disadvantage of being games that were developed not with the phone in mind and then getting yeah. ported to the phone. Whereas, yeah. I'm assuming Marvel Snap, they kind of had that... More yeah, in their minds from the get go. It's also on Steam, uh, and uh, one of our patrons swears by playing it on Steam. But mm-hmm. honestly, like playing it on the phone is great. Um, the game itself uh, is only ever six turns, and the turns are synchronous, so you're never waiting. I mean, you are you are waiting on someone else, but like not really because they can do stuff while you're doing stuff. Uh-huh. Uh, and people tend to play pretty quick, so you can get through a game in two to five minutes, I think. I don't think I, it ever takes much longer than that, uh-huh. uh, unless you forget, forget to intern or someone's, like, slow rolling you for no reason. Yeah. There's not really... There's never... T- there's very few turns where it's like, okay, I've got a lot of things to figure out. It's like, okay, I understand what I'm supposed to be doing next. Yeah. And what I will say about the game is, uh, so far, being completely free-to-play, I've unlocked a ton of cards. I've been able to build quite a few decks. Mm -hmm. So, um, and they're about to do some releases where you can get, like, specific cards. So, pretty free-to-play friendly, I think. Oh, nice. Uh, As far as... It has the tabletop to CPU seal of approval. I'll say, for for digital card games, um, it's easy to make... Uh, the game not free to play friendly, free to play friendly. Yes, and um, this and Legends of Runeterra are probably the only ones that start out free. And I'm like, okay, I've engaged in this um, as a free player, and actually, I'm not f- completely free to play because I've bought the season pass. But I don't think uh, it would have really affected my yeah my enjoyment of the game. But uh, what I love about it, uh, you get cards, and you get energy every turn, just like you would in like a Hearthstone. Sure. Um, there's three locations you play cards at. Uh, cards have different powers, and then there's different amounts of power and different energy costs. Mm-hmm. So you don't have attack and defense like a Hearthstone or a Magic. Um, some of the complexities cleaned out, and the, the cards all have like just an ability. Yeah. Um, so... Um, but it goes very fast. It has a clear end. Um, and your goal is to win two out of three locations. Yeah. Um, and so there's, 
there's definitely some really strong archetypes. There's cards that are good. Um, uh, shoot, there's a term for it. Um, it's not flagpoles. Um, there's a term when you draft in Magic for a card that tells you, um, like, oh, this is a important card for an archetype. But there's cards in there that clearly make it like, oh, I know what deck this wants to play in, right? Sure. Um, and they do lots of cool things where they will put partner or cards w from similar groups or uh, with unique synergies based off their powers uh -huh. or with like unique um, um, or similar themes. So for example, all the Black Panther cards or the main group of like the good guy Black Panthers from the original movie. I haven't seen the new movie yet. Yeah. Um, are all about hand buffing. Mm -hmm. So like uh, Black Panther doubles his uh, power when he gets played. So if you've buffed him up, he gets bigger. Yeah. Uh, another one of the Black Panther characters uh, buffs everyone in your deck by one. Uh, another one buffs the two leftmost cards in your hand by two. Another one uh, it says the next card you play will double its power. Right. right. And so this all kind of contributes to are like, oh, okay, I can kind of buff up my team for my hand. There's other ones that are like ongoing... Uh, meaning, like, persistent abilities that will, like, recalculate yeah. all the time. Uh, and so sometimes those will be buffs or specific abilities. Um, some of them are, um, like, on reveal. Uh, from Hearthstone, the term would be Battle Cry or Enter the Battlefield is what they call it in, in Magic. But just, like, when it's... when it Because all your cards enter and then they flip over yeah. once you... Uh, once you end a turn. Um, and then, uh, so so the reveal is kind of uh, something that can also trigger specific abilities. Sure. And so, like, agent, the shield characters all add cards to your hand. Uh -huh. They can be random cards. They can be cards of specific costs. Right. Um, and they kind of synergize with that. Yeah, so it's um, thematic based on what the characters do. Because Black yeah. Panther, they have a lot of, like, cool technology that they develop. And mm. then... Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. are yep. gathering info or card draw. Yeah, and Cloak and Dagger, who partner up in the comics, Cloak is good, can teleport people, and Dagger can, like, throw daggers. But if she moves, she gets a benefit. Cloak allows people to move to a location. So um, you can see kind of how it, it works all together. Yeah, that's neat. Um, and so you definitely see lots of those, like, cool, fun synergies where you're like, oh... Uh, another one that I didn't know, but there's a character called Moon Girl, and she always runs around with Dino or Devil Dinosaur, uh -huh. uh, and they like go and have adventures together. Well, she doubles or she duplicates your hand. Um, so if you have three cards, you now have six cards, and then the Devil Dinosaur gets a buff plus two for every card in your hand. Right. So, like playing her with devil dinosaur makes sense and then it's like oh well they're from the comics so yeah it's cool yeah um that's neat so now that you've kind of given a background on the game mm -hmm. what are the specific like resource mechanics that catch your yeah. attention so it's interesting because energy is a very um fixed growth right one two three four five six and there's only like two cards in the whole game that one gives you a bonus energy the next round one increases your max energy but it's kind of a higher cost card yeah so since there's six turns six increases in energy a six card cost a six cost card you're only going to play one of them right most games there's also um each location is unique and thematic based off of, like, Marvel things. Yeah. So sometimes there's, like, one location that causes a turn seven or one location that gives everyone five energy for a turn or something. Yeah. So um, there are things that break the mold and make certain um, games more inter or interesting in different ways. Yeah. So, but by and large, you can expect to p play one six-cost card per game. So you don't want to put in three because right. then you're not going to play them. So it's this really interesting dynamic of you have a fixed amount of energy that you're going to play with by the end of the game, and certain cards can only be played later, right? Yeah. At the same time, you start with, like, three cards, and then you draw every turn. So you're going to see nine cards out of a 
um, 12 card deck. Am I doing math right? Draw every turn. Oh, wow, three. that's really small. It is a pretty small deck. Um, it, it's singleton. Mm-hmm. So you're not guaranteed to see stuff. But, like, depending on your strategy, you know, if you fill it all with low-cost cards, you're going to play it out, but you're going to run out of stuff. Yeah. And then, like, at the end, when you need something big and impactful, you're going to draw one of your one-cost cards, right? Yeah. So playing to your curve and saying, okay, I really need a really well-balanced cards that are impactful to my strategy, cards that I can play kind of every turn, because if I'm only playing big cards then I'm only going to have three turns where I get to play cards. Yeah, it's interesting in a resource sense because the resource, like the base thing of what the card does is also, it it needs to be taken to an account to also with when you play it. Mm -hmm. And honestly, I think it's a, it's been a really cool game to say just like, I mean, it's worth just picking up on your phone, checking it out. It's really accessible. Um, use promo code TT2CPU. Wish. <laughs> um, it's interesting because the way you progress is like you complete quests and unlock. Uh, you get you get credits. Credits are the main thing, and they're pretty accessible. And then you get packs. Packs are things that let you upgrade your cards. Uh-huh. Now they don't change the abilities; they just make them shinier. Oh. It's like literally the first upgrade is frame break. So the little card frame, the character jumps out. Then it's like, oh, uh, shiny logo and like, oh, 3D background and stuff. So it just makes your it's cards literally look... literally cosmetic. Yeah, it's it's making them look more holographic, but it upgrades... Whenever you upgrade a card, it upgrades your account level. Uh-huh. And your account level, whenever it gets to certain spots, um, it gets you a benefit, whether that be more credits or unlocks a new card. Oh, okay. So, like, the way you unlock the new card is by getting more cosmetics, but cosmetics are earned by playing. Uh-huh. So, it's not too terrible. And then you can... That's cool. You can spend money to get more credits, because if you play enough, you're more likely to run out of credits, because every game you get a pack for every turn that was completed. Mm-hmm. So, if I play one round, I get six packs for one of my cards mm-hmm. that I played with. So, if you want to, you know... Get some quick levels. You can go and play a deck with a bunch of cards you haven't played. Yeah. Um, or you can keep playing and get some to really high, fancy, and and like you can even max them out. And when you max them out, there's like new tiers and stuff. But yeah. Um, I, I think it's just cool because like in other card games I've played, oftentimes the cosmetic options are behind the paywall, or they're the ones that are not free to play friendly. Yeah. But now. Even if you're a, a low a low cost player or like a free to play player, you get cool fancy cards as long as you're playing the game, right? Yeah. Whereas like in Hearthstone, if you had a gold card, it was like, oh, you should disenchant your gold cards so you can get more of other cards, right? Yeah. Um, or if you got um, or in Magic, like uh, in, in the paper version, you get like sh- um, what do they call? Them? Uh, holographic. Pokemon is holographic. Foil? Foil cards. Except for modern magic, foil cards are bad. Interesting story about that. Yeah. While I'm on the topic. Uh, a pro magic player uh, got disqualified from going to, I want to say, Worlds recently. Because they in one of the tournaments he was going to play in to, and he probably would have made it, he went to or i think he played through the tournament and then they disqualified him after uh-huh. he bought a super special magic the gathering promo cards uh called they're called um secret layers yeah uh which are like special art and he got the foil versions of them but current magic foils warp right yeah. many magic players hate that they warp so these are super fancy ones so they sell for like you get like five cards for like sixty dollars. It's absolutely insane. Uh-huh. Uh, and and then you get like this pack, and so he used a playset of a bunch of these cards from this like special one that you have to spend extra money for. Yeah. He got disqualified for using an actual magic product because <laughs> they warped, and people are like, "Oh, well, you can you figure can out tell. what cards yeah. were coming." <laughs> and it's like, it's 
it's a really dumb business model when you're like, oh, these are fancy cards that you want to play with that are like super special if you want to trick out your decks. But if you play with them, we're going to disqualify. You. Yeah, yeah. So, anyways. Yeah, no, that's a very neat thing to have like, because to have cosmetics be a part of the progression. Mm-hmm. Because I think a lot of the times, if you get a player to like invest in their cosmetics, they're like, oh, this is my deck and it's really cool and I like tricked mm-hmm. it out just this way. And yeah. you make it accessible but difficult to have everything. Mm-hmm. It kind of like makes their deck of cards unique to them, yeah. even if other players are playing a similar archetype because mm-hmm. they have these particular yeah. things. When someone plays a max out card or with... Because when you max them out, you get to like start leveling up a different background effect, but uh-huh. it's the same card. And so if I see like a really complex background effect at like a, a more higher level, I'm like... Dang, this person's really likes this deck or really likes yeah. this card. I'm like, yeah. shoot, this guy's played a lot. And then another thing, like the main thing where you could actually spend money is you can buy like alternate arts for yeah. cards. So those are kind of cool where it's like, oh, I like this art style for a card I like. And then you can upgrade that one separately. Mm-hmm. Well, and especially because a Marvel based game is so visual because they're based on comics. Mm-hmm. It's, it's cool to have that like yeah. nod to that. Yeah, so they have all sorts of different variants of different cards and stuff. Yeah, so making cosmetics a resource is pretty interesting to, like, the meta progression. Yeah. So, but what I will say is, like, it's... When when we think about the resource in that game, energy is not a variable resource, by and large. And and cards, cards in hand and cards you gain are not variable resources. It takes a lot of work to try and break the the core structure of it. Right, the so, one energy, two energy thing, and then yeah. drawing a card every turn. And so what I'll say is, like, when you've seen powerful decks show up in hyper-competitive games like Magic or Hearthstone, uh, it's really when they break a lot of the, um, the resource, the resource availability. Yeah. It's... Something costs a lot less. Something allows you to get a lot more resources. Um, it's like they they mess with the resource model. Yeah. So if they mess with if in in like Hearthstone or or Magic, if something ha- um, is similar to another card but has a lower cost. Yeah. Or it um, is something that generates a lot of card advantage for not a lot of investment. Mm-hmm. Or something that lets you get a lot more, you know, in Hearthstone it's mana, and in Magic it's a lot more lands. If Those those things tend to give you power, and if there's not a counterbalance to it, those are the decks that take over yeah. in, a, um, in a meta. And so it's been interesting to see, because there's not a lot that breaks that loop... In, an, in a super unhealthy way that I've seen so far. Yeah. Um, It'll be interesting to watch it develop over time because yeah. most games tend to be pretty... Most competitive card games that I've seen mm. tend to be pretty balanced when they come out, and then over time, the power creep happens. Yeah, it's because people want to keep people engaged in a, in a game. Yeah. Developers want to keep people engaged in their game. And if they don't release something that's new and interesting, and so sometimes they use up what they feel comfortable with in one design space, so they try and do something and push it. It's the same in, like, a shooter. Yeah. Like, uh, Valorant, for example. Normally, or Rainbow Six would do this a lot. Uh, a new agent comes out, and it, and it's difficult to get those right away free-to-play, but you can spend money, they look really fancy, um, they have cool new abilities and they're stronger than everyone else, right? <laughs> yeah. And so it's like, oh, the, and here's the storm did this too, and I'm I'm sure uh, League of Legends does it. They come out and they come out way too strong. Yeah. And then everyone wants to play them because they're way too strong and they're cool in the new thing, right? And so then uh, the next step is, oh, we need to nerf it and bring it back, right? Yeah. But but at the end of the day, they're they're trying to get people to to stay engaged and buy the new thing as they release it. So yeah, I don't know how much I believe that. At least with Heroes of the Storm, but I totally understand the argument. They would at times release incredibly overtuned heroes, but they would also release undertuned heroes that like nobody would play for a while. Yeah, 
Yeah, there was definitely some that felt more pushed. And yeah. I mean, maybe they weren't doing it intentionally. Yeah. But I could definitely see that strategy, though. Like, mm-hmm. it, it totally makes sense to do. Yeah. Make it just a little. Or you want to air the, the other argument I've heard from that from a design perspective is if I'm creating a new character and I want people to try it out, I want them to have fun and engage with it. So I'd rather err on the side of it being strong so that players mm-hmm. play it and have fun than having it be weak and then players never play it. Mm-hmm. But that that's kind of specific to a MOBA, I'd say. Yeah. What I will say is, like, the one thing in all my card games that I've learned is no matter what other resource you use, the number one resource is cards. Mm-hmm. And, and across every game I've ever played card advantage tends to be the biggest resource because at the end of the day day when i'm playing a card game my main thing is is almost always what cards do i have in my hand what are my options for what i can do yeah and sometimes those things do exist on the board like magic maybe i've played some stuff but like magic if it never arrives in my hand i've never played it out in l5r i've got i've got a hand and i've got like a tableau of characters and if if things aren't arriving in either excuse me either of those places then then i don't have options right yeah and so um if you can stifle and limit people's ability and access to card options then you can really limit them and have a lot more knowledge right yeah and so card advantage is is the main thing. And then there's all sorts of different secondary resource methods, which I find really interesting. Yeah. So. Such as mana. Yeah. So, like, there's progressing of mana or energy or. Um, and so, like, Hearthstone has a one mana per turn thing. And there's some cards that can get you a little bit extra. Yeah. Um, and that's really limited to one class. Um, versus like magic, you play a land every turn, but only if you have one in hand, because it's an actual card that exists in your deck. Right. Um, and then you go and look at something like L5R and at the beginning of every turn, each player gets seven fate, seven resources. Right. Yeah. And so, um, you, in that game, there was like. Other th- other than cards in hand, you had fate and honor. And honor, you could kind of spend towards cards in hand, uh, just kind of the way the game works. I won't go too much into mechanics. But the the interesting thing about that is everyone was starting on an even playing field. It wasn't, and I think I think there's other ones that allow for an even playing field. But it's resource management was really important in Magic. However, like. You can kind of guess that you're gonna have three land, three to four land drops. Yeah, and then, but sometimes you don't. And one of the things that frustrates me in in ma- in Magic is it's always been an issue in Magic that you can get, as they call it, mana screwed. Yeah. Aka, you don't get the right lands or you don't get enough lands, so you can't play the game. Yeah, you kind of with Magic when you put the resources more into the player's hands, it gives them more power. But on the other hand, players who aren't as good at designing a deck or who just get unlucky don't have those resources, and it leads to games just Mm -hmm. being kind of a dud for one player. Yeah. Which I think is interesting in terms of resource management. If we And I agree with you that card advantage has to be the most... or or most likely is the most important resource in a card game. I'd say it is. Most, but I'm open to arguments. Yeah, or universal at least. Yeah. Um, this may be a good way to put it. Yeah. But. I mean, card cards are half the words in card game. Yeah. And you can't have game advantage. Mm-hmm. I mean, I have game advantage. Well, I mean, even in like a cooperative one like Arkham Horror. <laughs> um, Arkham Horror, it's like, what cards do you have in in hand? And people have resources, but those resources are like. Um, 
They're pretty minor, and cards in hand are what really... Yeah, cards in hand, and then your interaction with the board and your abilities and stuff. Yeah. Like, cards in hand are going to give me the options for what what am I going to do and how am I going to progress. Oh, absolutely. And so, like, if I join a new card game and I see something that says draw a card, I know that this is going to be something that is going to, like give me more options at the end of the day. Sure. I mean, I even, I've played Monopoly Deal, which is, like, a fun little version of, like, it's like a card game. It's honestly probably a good way to introduce people to some of the concepts in Magic, where it's like, oh, you can interact with other people. Oh, you're trying to put stuff onto the board, and then you're also trying to protect your stuff and accomplish your goal, prevent other people from doing their goals. You have some ability to counter. You don't always want to put all your things out. You could probably teach a lot of core magic concepts through the game. Uh, But one of the cards is, like, Pasco, and you draw two cards. Yeah. It's literally Pot of Greed from Yu-Gi-Oh. And and Yu-Gi-Oh has a card that's... I play Pot of Greed, I draw two cards. Yeah. And in both games, it costs me no resources to play this card. So it's like... Well, in, in Monopoly Deal, you only get three actions around. But it's like, just, like, play the draw cards and get more things, right? Sure. Kind of what I was getting to earlier, though, is that, like, when you have those core mechanics and you kind of standardize them for everybody, it mm-hmm. takes it, it almost takes it away from being a resource in the game mm-hmm. because everyone has essentially the same thing. And then what that allows is instead of, like, in Magic, where you're like, I need to make sure I have a good mana base and I'm getting what I need and my distribution is good, which can be fun to figure out. But instead of having to worry about that, you're worrying more about, like, more, I don't want to say micro decisions, but just decisions on how to actually play Mm -hmm. your cards and where to go and all that stuff. So you kind of, by actually putting a limit on a very common resource in card games in fact I'd say it's probably ubiquitous you actually create new options for people to mm. explore and play with yeah. so you kind of create a newer card game by limiting the standard yeah. resource um, by standardizing it I will say Legends of Runeterra does it really interesting because um And I'll just say Hearthstone and Magic are, like, the old guard, kind of. They came from... They come from very similar concepts in a lot of ways. Yeah. And it's, like, efficiency is a really important thing. Now, efficiency in spending your resources is always going to be important. Um, In L5R, if you're not spending your fate, you're going to get behind. Mm -hmm. And you don't want to get too far behind. You Sometimes you want to save it, but, like, you can't save it too much because you're going to get too far behind. Right. Right. Because um, resources you don't spend are resources that aren't doing anything. What I like about that one is there's not a ramp-up period. In L5R, yeah. the first turn can sometimes be slow, but it's like, right from the get-go, everyone has seven fate, we get to fight. Yeah. Like, hey, let's fight battle right now. Whereas in, like, Magic, sometimes you're like, third turn, land, okay, go. Right? Yeah. And it's like, I've always thought about this as, as a solution for for Magic the Gathering... Uh, playing in a casual group is like, okay, everyone just one, to speed up games, but two, to just like, make it not feel bad is like, hey, everyone just go look up three basic lands for your deck and put them out, and now let's play. Yeah. And like, then no one gets a crazy first turn where it's like, oh, they get a couple mana rocks and get way ahead. It's like, okay, well, you know, we, you know, we we did this so that everyone can kind of engage and play in the game. It, it, I mean, it's it's not necessarily balanced because people could start to play to exploit that, but... Yeah. Yeah. Well, and StarCraft did sort of a similar thing where for the first two expansions, I believe, you would start with six workers, and then towards the end of it in the third expansion, Legacy of the Void, they just started everybody with 12 workers. So a lot mm. of the times... It kind of weakened rushes for some players because a six pool, which is just where you have six drones and you build a spawning pool and then you build zerglings to go attack, like would hit earlier and people wouldn't be as ready for it. But on the other hand, just everyone has more economy. So it yeah, it, it's an interesting design choice because you do slightly nerf one strategy, but I think it, it's still there in a sense, and for everybody else, the game just goes faster because they don't have to spend the time making their first six workers. Yeah, I mean, StarCraft was never a particularly slow game, 
but like the the fact of the matter is um you know you do spend the first three minutes everyone sitting there like construct worker whenever it's ready construct worker whenever it's ready yeah at okay and then you get to like build your first thing at the three minute mark and it's the same thing i don't remember my timing it's it's been a while but like but like the first five minutes unless there was a rush involved were pretty much five to ten minutes were pretty much identical and then all of a sudden it's like okay people start to do stuff yeah right and it's like you can you don't have to waste that time yeah and honestly like it's I'll watch one, professional sorry keep going uh it's just one of the things that i think i find frustrating and in, in uh league of legends is it's got its early phase lasts too long mm-hmm. it it the interesting stuff is the middle and the end phase but and you can lose the game in the early phase. Um, Heroes of the Storm, I think, did it much better. Their progression was much faster. Uh, the team leveled up together. Um, and the early phase was, was fine and, and interesting, but it lasted, it lasts like, a third of the time. Yeah, I think... In pro- I'll watch Professional StarCraft, and you can see in casts, I remember back... Because I've watched it for a good amount of time now. Not super closely, but I'll mm-hmm. tune into matches. Um, a lot of times, in earlier years when I would watch a cast, the person casting the game would just kind of talk about it, and they'd even acknowledge it. They're just like, "And I'm just this is all just filler until something interesting starts happening." Mm-hmm. And now they'll still get that sometimes, but usually they talk about what's going on a lot more quickly because when you start with twelve workers instead of six, you get to the decision points mm-hmm. a lot more quickly of like oh, they're, like, building this first or that first, or yeah. because they have these resources here that, you know, they're going to try this strategy probably, and so... Mm-hmm. And I think that even... I think the interesting thing is in, in L5R, um, even though everyone started at the same point, there were still different archetypes. There were still people who had more aggressive decks. Yeah. They were trying to win in those first couple turns before they burnt out. Other ones that were trying to control and slow down and defend. Like yeah. like you didn't lose the main archetypes because a lot of a lot of what aggro is in magic is how can I squeeze out twenty damage in as few resources as possible so I can cut back on lands and make sure I only have cards that do stuff and spend really cheap cards and make sure I'm getting just as much small chip damage in as possible. Yeah. And that's what aggro looks like. And then it like it's gonna either uh happen or it's not gonna happen and you're gonna know really quick. Right. And like Hearthstone had some really aggressive decks as well in a similar way. And like that isn't it's not negated in in games that have, I mean, kind of call it like a hot start. Yeah. So. Just where you're empowered to start making plays out the mm-hmm. gate. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah, it, and so. Give the players more resources to start with because resources enable decision points. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's one of those things where I think that a lot of games benefit from a hot start. Mm-hmm. Um, it's funny because... Um, uh, Blades in the Dark system, the Blades in the Dark system, also uh, the um, uh, Scum and Villainy is is the space version. Yeah. And so I played Scum and Villainy. It has that hot start thing where it's like, okay, you're, this is your quest right now. You're playing it. Yeah. And if you need to do some planning, you do it in the middle. And yeah. you And you, like, you get to d- make those decisions then. Because... Through the flashback system. Through the flashback yeah, system. Because yeah. if you play D&D... It's like, okay, we're going to go to the tavern. We're going to, oh, okay, the barbarian decided to go order some ales. Oh, the ranger's going to go flirt for no reason. Oh, the bard wants to make a play. It's like, no, we're here to meet the guy to get the quest. Like, like the play that the DM has crafted, you know, has yeah. put an hour into for us to play for four hours, It is it, it's in a far-off place. It's not in the tavern. Yeah, and, like, certainly some groups are different than others. What I was laughing at when you initially started talking was because I thought you were going to talk about how in Blades in the Dark you can say what your plan was beforehand, 
mm-hmm. and it kind of makes sense in the middle of the story. Yeah. But in normal D&D, when you make a plan beforehand, it usually almost always goes hilariously wrong. Yeah. Which... <laughs> That's also true. It's fun, but it's also nice mm-hmm. to have... It's, it does make it feel really special in D&D when a plan actually succeeds, but it, it, there's something to be said for feeling cool because your secret agent had their plan go mm-hmm. super well. Yeah, sometimes sometimes you're doing it for like character building, but what I found in Blades in the Dark was like I could do character building in the moment. Yeah. And it like it almost opened me up to say like how is my character unique in this heist rather than oh, how can my character be a character in a bar and then a pile of stats in the dungeon, right? Yeah. It was like how can my character be himself? And so, like, one of the things I was like, okay, my character's a DJ. We're, I know we're making our, we're, we feel like we're in the clear for making the escape, so I'm going to turn up the music and, like, start, yeah. like, jamming out and, like, yeah, turn up the music way too loud in the car so everyone hears our vehicle leaving. Yeah. And, like, uh, just throwing my hands out the window. Yeah. Which was totally a ridiculous decision. Like, if we're a, a tactical squad, I wouldn't do that. Yeah. So, I do like that. Um, I, I will say, also, like, the flashback is... is f- I like the flashback system for the... We don't have to sit here forever to make a plan, and then I can still feel like I had a cool idea of, like, how I would have planned stuff. But I we can, you can have a more complex adventure in that. Yeah, totally. Anyways, back to card games. Yeah. I don't have a good segue for this. So, Kickstarter, Mage Noir... Um, I'm I'm hoping we get a play on 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 stream. Nate has the box on the table where we're recording. Yeah, it well, it so, was on the couch where we're sitting. But. It's so sleek and shiny and it, new. Yes. Uh the game revolves around six colors of of mana essentially, right? Yeah. But rather than just saying, "Hey, you're gonna add that to your deck," or "Hey, we're gonna give you one per turn." What they do is um, they force you to kind of fill up piles, and then you take the bigger pile. So you get to choose which colors of mana you're putting out in the middle, Uh and then you take the bigger pile. And you always start by filling the smaller pile. So you're slowly adding these cards, and then you can also do stuff to trade or add additional in the future. But what happens is you you start to get your opponent's colors, and you can trade them out and stuff. So if we get a chance to play it on screen, one one of the things that made me think about all the resource stuff is, is like the way it handles something that's. It's not like magic because the, the 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 mana is not reusable. It's like single use mana by and large. But like you're getting it in an interesting way, and the way that you plan it out impacts your opponent. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you can set certain things up for your your next turns and your future turns. And uh, when you do stuff, it starts to return stuff to the mana pool, and you get to kind of control that a little bit. So nice. I'll be I'll be really interested to see they actually have like um, specific demo decks. So if we do get a chance to play, we can probably run through once with those where they're like in a specific order to yeah. help encourage learning and everything, and then we can shuffle up and. And try so some decks, what so. you're saying is you like get mana and then you use it to spend resources but when it's in your hand it's not available for other people so then yeah. you play it and it returns back to being available for other people to use uh it's not quite that so because that would be in- that, I mean, so I'm there's sure it's there's a general that. like essentially there are infinite stacks of each color now yeah. there's only like 24 of each because the box isn't infinitely big but right but essentially Which is as, a mistake in manufacturing I think yeah, well they they actually note it in the in the rule book it's like if you run out of energy cards use something else to figure it out because unfortunately like with costs we can only print so many cards for you guys <laughs> and like we printed how much we think you'll need yeah um. But um, at the beginning of your turn, you take three energy and you lay it out between two piles. You take the larger pile. Uh-huh. And then when... And it sits... It doesn't sit in your hand. It sits kind of in like a table of, of resources. Yeah. But then when you play cards, they go... The, the energy goes under those cards and it's locked up in those. But if you resolve a card, like you use its ability, yeah. it goes 
it goes back to the general fund. Cool. So the game starts to ramp up because you're going to want to eventually resolve cards, right? Yeah. So as you resolve all these cards, the, the energy is going back. And if I'm playing wind and you're playing fire, I'm throwing a whole bunch of wind energy into there. You're playing a whole bunch of fire energy. Yeah. And all of a sudden, I'm going to get fire energy that I don't want because I had to take the bigger pile no matter what. Yeah. And then the third player comes in with earth energy and suddenly you're able to cast the September spell. That was good. That was good. <laughs> if you didn't understand it, it's... Do you remember? It's a song September by Earth, Wind, and Fire. So. <laughs> um, it is only 1v1 as far as I'm aware, but um, but eventually I'm going to build up enough fire that I'm like, okay, well, I don't want this. Well, when I exchange... I can exchange my energy for ones that are in the main pool as long as I exchange with a bigger pile. So I have two fire energy I'm never going to use because I don't have any cards, or I might have a couple cards, um, but for the most part I'm not going to use it. So I can go get some of the wind energy that's built up in one of the piles because I've been throwing wind energy out there. But it's two to one. So I put two fire energy out, get one wind energy. So now I'm accelerating my opponent's plan uh -huh. to play more fire. Gotcha. Right? So the interaction between this is like, oh, do I exchange for resources knowing that I'm going to accelerate everything? Yeah, I think what really interests me is that the resource you have, which is mana, to play cards also has a secondary effect of like being available for others to use. Mm -hmm. So when you spend it, it's not just a choice of do I spend it now or later, it's also a choice of do I spend it and potentially give it to somebody else. Yes. So there's there's more to consider there, which I think is interesting. And then I think the 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 other interesting resource thing is, rather than having a second resource like L5R does, um, or something. Um, yeah. The secondary resource is actually already the cards in your hand. So so I'm getting energy to throw on my cards, but when I play a card, so for example, I one of the air cards because I read through the air players' first turns. Yeah was breath now i can then say okay i'm gonna do breath's ability and breath's ability is like add two air to the general mana pool in yeah. the middle so it's like a it's kind of ramping but it's also ramping to help your your opponent out sort of stuff right yeah um and then if i do that i discard my card i put whatever was on my under my card back out there but I can also turn things into components, and I turn it sideways. And a component has the ability of all the words on it. Uh-huh. So another card might say, oh, you have to have a breath, or you have to have two breaths to play this. Uh-huh. So, like, I think Tornado required a wind, but the wind card required, like, two breaths. Yeah. So I need to make sure I have two breaths, but I need to turn them into components. Once they're components, I can no longer use them. Use for their, their abilities, abilities yeah. but I'm using them as things that'll enable bigger things. Uh -huh. Or some cards will be like, for every breath component you have, do the, draw a card or something like that. That's super cool. Um, and then some of the, and then there's cards that cross over. So sometimes there'll be one that's like, uh, um, like uh, water the seeds or something. And so it could count. It would work in a two in a green blue deck. Where it would help with like the seed mechanic of the green deck, but also help with the water mechanic. Right. So, um, just really interesting kind of like fusion of, of stuff. Yeah. There's two expansions, and if I like it, I might pick them up. Yeah. Um, and there is some deck building, so you can mix colors. You there there's 50 cards. It's a 40 card deck. Um, 50 cards for each color, so you can customize a monocolor deck a little bit, or you could add in a second color. Yeah. Um, which just seems really interesting to me. So Totally. Um, that it plays with it. Um, I will say another game that plays with resources really interesting is Legends of Runeterra. Mm -hmm. um, they have something in that game called Spell Mana. Yeah. So if you don't use all your resources in one turn, you actually put it in a special pool of energy that... Um, uh, can only store up to three mana, can only be spent on spell cards, not on creature cards, but uh, you get to save it over turns. That's cool. Um, so sometimes early on, if you don't have a one or two cost spell, you can just kind of be like, oh, I won't do anything, and you don't feel like you've wasted your turn. Yeah, it makes it less punishing to um, not have a turn one play. And they do it, and then it's interesting in how they balance that out, because um, if... 
your max energy is is like 10 energy or your max mana or whatnot but there's spells that cost 12 mana Right. Which means I have to save two mana one turn, so the next turn I can play this. Now, right. it's, a, it's a big spell. It does a lot. Um, but it also means that a six-cost spell is not always as exciting as a six-cost creature. Right. Because if I don't do anything turns one and two, I will have a six-cost spell ready on turn three. Right. If I don't do anything one and two, I can only play a three-cost creature. Yeah. Right? Um, yeah, that's super neat. I think another interesting mechanic that comes to mind is the Lord of the Rings living card game, which is cooperative. Um, Nate and I played... No, we didn't play two-handed. We just played two separate decks. Mm-hmm. We each played a deck. Oh, yeah, they had three heroes. That's why I was, I was a little yeah, confused. Yeah. But I, he played a more combat-focused deck, and I played a more like advance-the-quest-focused mm-hmm. deck. Um, and so I got into a certain card archetype that let me take the cards in my hand and discard them, which essentially turns a card that was already a resource and gives it another value as a resource, but at the opportunity mm-hmm. cost of not being able to play the card. And that was a super interesting way for like card game resources to mm-hmm. affect stuff, especially in a printed game where you're adding on to existing cards. Because if you add a new mechanic in a printed game, there's not a lot of support for it. So I think that discard mechanic is especially good because every card in the game suddenly can play into that mechanic, mm-hmm. even if there are only a few cards that are like, discard this to do that. It's like, yeah. well, all my other cards, even if they don't have a discard effect, can be discarded. So you've created more depth to your game with that mechanic, mm-hmm. which I think is really yeah. smart. And I think Magic had to innovate a lot of that early on. Is they, they figured out a lot of stuff related to, as an additional cost sacrifice a creature as an additional cost discard a card yeah um and so they figured out okay we can turn certain things into extra resources and then we can turn things like if you have a creature that says when this dies well rather than waiting for it to be able to trade with a an opponent i can then sacrifice it yeah using something that that requires a sacrifice and i can start to do more and find new paths and resources. Yeah, and then those different mechanics which affect the resource system start interacting with each other, and suddenly you're getting this really, like, complex web of decision-making that you can have. So Marvel Snap actually has a discard deck where it's like, oh, discard a card from your hand. and, um, And then there's cards that are like, when you discard this... It gets this additional effect, uh-huh. and Hearthstone had a couple of those, but like the discard deck was never super strong in Hearthstone. In Marvel Snap, there's one card that's like, when you discard this, return it to your hand with four more power, uh-huh. and so you're trying to get a really big. It's an Apocalypse, which is like the big villain from X Men. Yeah. So you're trying to discard him a whole bunch, and there's even a card that's like discard the highest cost card from your hand, so you're like guaranteed to hit your Apocalypse. Yeah. Um. And then, so, like, the discard decks, there's another one that's, like, when you discard this, add two copies of it that cost zero. When you discard this, play it at a random location. So you get all these, like, cards that you're like, okay, these are the cards I want to discard in hand, and these are the cards that are going to discard them. Like, I never want to cast my Wolverine. I always want to discard it. Sure. So my Wolverine dies and comes out for free. Yeah. Right. So, um... And and so I think yeah it, you can you can look at a lot of these things and say hey there are different ways for me to use these things in the game as a resource yeah. right um, and when you start to to push those boundaries is when you start to get into things that are not necessarily what new players will gravitate towards but all of a sudden experienced players will be like oh I find this interesting. Um, the discard deck is it does random discards, um, which sure. I think is is a limitation. Yeah. Um, although you'd have to design differently if it wasn't random. Right. Totally. Um, it's taken into account. And but I will say, like physical card games, when they use other resources, there is even more choice. Like if I have to discard, if I have to discard a card to do something. Well, that's an additional resource, but like maybe this card isn't useful. Especially in Magic, you get a lot of lands, right? And so you're like, oh, I don't need this land anymore. I'm like, yeah, I, I will never need more land than what I have. So all of a sudden, I can turn this dead card in my hand into something that's valuable. Cool. Yeah. 
So. Yeah. Um, well, I think that about wraps us up for today. Yeah. Thanks for joining us for yeah. episode one of the new season, guys. Questions to the listeners? Yeah. Uh, if you're not a patron, why not? Come join us. We no, got no. new art. Uh, you don't have to join us. No, but no. we do have a Discord, and that's where we do a lot of our Which chatting on that. This one. Discord? Okay. Uh, and and so we do a lot of chatting about design stuff all the time, mm-hmm. and and there's been a lot of chat about Marvel Snap. Um, uh, you don't like that? You, the, the Patreon plug we gotta plug our, our socials yeah i know i just don't want anyone to feel like they have to do that oh yeah no um we do have a facebook group too um which i try to remember to post on when a new episode is up or when we're streaming uh we have a twitch um yep which um i post our twitch our discord and our patreon link on every episode so if you look in our description yeah should be there um we got new art so i don't yeah. know if you've checked on all of our different Socials, uh, those should all be up to date with new banners and stuff. Um, yeah. And hopefully, once I finish my master's, I'm actually might look at how we can uh, maybe offer some merchandise with that art on it. Probably yeah. not. We're not trying to make money off this. Probably through some sort of storefront that just like it's like, oh, we'll put your logo on a shirt. Um, yeah. But if people want to get them, support it. Check it out. Yeah. Um, and then we're really excited to announce that at the start of season five, so not this one, but next one, we will be launching an OnlyFans, and we'll keep the content for what that will be a mystery. But we'll, you guys well, can think about that. OnlyFans has changed a lot of their policies. So, <laughs> I mean, essentially, it's a Patreon now. So, it's just Patreon too. Subscribe to both. Um, electric Boogaloo. Electric Boogaloo. Um. So, uh, what what card games? Uh, what what's your favorite resource in a card game that you've experienced? Yeah, that's our that's our actual question. So, yeah. Um, well, thanks for joining us. Welcome to season four. Um, we have so much planned for this season. By so much planned, I mean nothing planned. Uh, but we are. I am hoping to. It's maybe a good way to throw them off our scent. <laughs> Maybe do some more streams and stuff. Yeah. Um, I think people liked the Elder Tour one. Um, I'm planning on trying to show off some of the games I've kickstarted in the past because I tended to choose Kickstarter games based off of cool game mechanics I saw, and um, hopefully we can do that in the future. Yeah. Uh, and Chris can help me with some of the board game ones, um, uh, and maybe we can get Chris on a couple uh, video game streams. I don't know. He fun. needs a he needs a computer. <laughs> so I have I have your computer. You do have my computer. You don't have the space to put it. It's what you've told me in the past. Oh yeah, it's <laughs> it's sitting next to my desk right now. It's a you ledge have for, a desk. It's a ledge for Gordon to uh, sit on at the moment. Gordon is his cat. Yes. Named after Gordon Ramsay. It's not true. Named after uh, Gordon from Batman. It's not true. Named after. Gordon from Half-Life 2. Yeah? No, he was already named Gordon. Oh, oh. Not even creative. I've been calling him the Gordster lately. The Gordster? Yeah. I'm sure he loves that. Always Gordon. Alright, guys. (laughs) We'll see you later. (laughs) Take care.